I actually thought we already started. Nah. Hello and welcome to the Goldfish Village podcast. I'm your host of Goldfish Village and the founder, Joshua Mercer, where we teach folks just like you how to create financial freedom through real estate. Also, a uh, realtor with Premier Chicago Real Estate. Today, we got a special guest in the building, man. A man who me- needs no introduction. This man is single-handedly revived Chicago communities. There you go. One there by go. one by one. He is a, a developer. This brother quit his job making 10 figures to go and uh, <laughs> rehab Chicago's South Side. But yeah, you quit your job, left corporate America. Yeah. Something that's not easy to do, especially when you got kids and you're married and you got bills yeah. and your lifestyle. But yeah. this is Marcus Daly. Marcus, yeah. welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, man. I certainly appreciate you, man. It, it is definitely a, a, a honor and privilege, man. I don't take this time granted or, or lightly, man. So thank you. Thank so, you. man. So uh, Marcus is a go against the grain type of guy. When everybody's going up, Marcus want to go down. When everybody's saying, hold, Marcus want to flip. So tell me, just tell me how you got started in real estate. So really, it is. It's funny you say that about going against the grain. So I, I'm, I'm a, um, I've always been a firm believer that you know if somebody's going right, then chances are there's some opportunities to go left. Um, that I'm a swim up the stream kind of guy, and um, really a lot of my decisions are fact based and based off of numbers. Um, so um i'm a pretty transparent guy so i'll i'll just be honest um so i was in corporate america 15 years um so mainly cpg companies craft foods um tyson foods um bell brands and i was with a consultant company for a while um and essentially while i was doing that i always did real estate on the side i always invested in a property i lived in a three flat rented out a couple units here and there um, but then it just kind of grew to um, the point where I knew that wasn't my forever. So corporate just wasn't my forever. Um, I never felt comfortable there. I never felt um, like it was my home. Um, I'm typically the only African-American in the room. Um, there's a lot of bureaucratic mm-hmm. stuff there, but you learn a lot. So there's nothing wrong with corporate America. Um, but I just knew that wasn't my forever place. And I always just had a passion for uh, rehabbing. So essentially, um, I, it got to the point where my rehabs actually outpaced my nine to five income. So I think I was making, last thing I was making was like 140, 150 grand in corporate. And then with some bonuses here and there. And next thing I know, I looked at my balance sheet and, um, I made more doing real estate than I did and corporate. So then my wife was just like, what you going to do? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah, I would I imagine this probably was taking up a ton of time too. It was. So I was burning the candle at both ends. So um, I'm in nine to five, well, like eight to eight to four, I'm in the office. Um, and then I go home, wolf down something to eat. And then from like six to nine, I'm hopping in and out of buildings all night um, in all type of neighborhoods from Inglewood to, you know, Chatham, um, Auburn, Gresham. So it, it just got to the point where it was like, you know, you can't rabbits. So I made a decision. Um, 
I left, I left corporate and I had about like six months of expenses and I paid everything up in advance. And then I just let everyone know, I thanked them for the opportunity. And then I made the leap December, December 4th of 2018. So any, any regrets on that? Hello. Oh, it's my connection for the last two years. So, so you, I've so done... you stopped. You left corporate on Founders Day. <laughs> I did actually. I did. <laughs> it was. It was very. It was very symbolic, actually. Yeah. It was. There were so many reasons why that day just made more sense to just leave. Um, okay. So, any regrets? So yeah, and this, it... it's been a good ride ever since. So no regrets. Say that again. I said no regrets. Oh no, no. Actually, I I regret not doing it sooner. If anything. Wow, really? So yes. what? Um, what what because... has changed since um since uh not having the nine to five? I mean, obviously you can focus more, but what else has changed? So um, I think there's a heightened level of awareness once you become an entrepreneur. Um, yeah, for you, real. <laughs> you know, I, I think, <laughs> you know, you, you see things, you see things a lot differently. Um, when you go to nine to five, you, you do the job, you get a paycheck. And again, I, I wasn't, I was getting paid good money. I it wasn't like, you know, I wasn't poor or broke or anything. I mean, my career was going relatively well as an entrepreneur though. Um, there is no ceiling. And I and I'm here to play the game of um, I, I love business. I love being an entrepreneur. I love growing things. Um, I love projects. Um, I love taking the staff and really managing and and putting all the pieces together because I think that's a skill set that is very rare. Um, which I I didn't surprisingly I didn't know how rare that was that you know a lot of people don't have a skill set of been able to put people and projects and timelines and budgets together yeah um so, so that's that's a skill that's very um underrated to me it just comes naturally but i i just didn't realize there's so many people that just didn't know how to do that <laughs> um so so yeah so that that that's what changed i mean we went from i went from two guys it was like me and like three other guys that were just helping me rehab buildings um to now there's like 23 of us so um really you know we went from that would take you know it would take like nine months or 10 months or maybe even like 12 months to do a rehab to now we've been able to con you know condense that down to a four-month timeline my budget used to be sixty thousand dollars a door got it down to about 35 to 40k a door so so that's what changed. And so we do continuous process improvement exercises. At the end of the year, we always have post-mortem discussions. We sit down and say, how can we be fast, more effective, more efficient? Where are we lacking? Where can we grow? Um, and that's the, the corporate value that I believe that I, I learned that I just took to the space. So who are, these, who are these guys? Are they like similar to you, like similar backgrounds? Or are these guys that are in the trades? Um, it's a mix. It's a mix. So, um, 
I have one guy had a former corporate background and he also transitioned to being a full-time entrepreneur. Um, but he does, he's able to help with <clears throat> the project management, financials, partnering on how to structure deals, um, how to actually source properties. Um, so that's a good, that was a good strategic relationship. And then um, everyone else is pretty much in the trade. Um, most, most guys are just in the trade. Um, many of them are just experienced. They've been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years. Um, and really we just gave them a home. Um, we gave them a home. Cause I think for a lot of guys that you'll realize in the trade, they bounce around a lot. Um, they may not have a contractor that they, um, uh, that they respect and they can work with full time. Um, they may not pay them well. They never have really good, uh, timelines. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's a lot of gaps in how some people manage projects. Jay, the financial security, the stability of the projects, um, and it just helps things go. So are you are you giving these guys that work with you, are you giving them equity in some of the deals since they know that you're developing? Some, yes. Some, yes. So um, it depends. It depends on the deal. Um, again, you have to really assess assess the deal up front and say, well, this is how, what initially that's how I really had to do it is because I'd be like, man, you know, I have a really tight budget and I really can't afford to pay you, you know, $75,000 a year right now. But what I can do is um, I can pay you maybe 50 to 60, 75% of that um, as a weekly salary. And then I will offer you an incentive that says if we finish within 13 weeks and we go, you know, to the closing table, I can give you equity an equity stake. Um, so then you kind of offer some kind of incentives to make sure it's done on time and under budget. And that's what helps to get you to the finish line without having to come hundred percent out of pocket. Yeah. It's a, it's a, a lot of, no, I say it's a lot of ways to creatively get deals done especially when um you know you have a good relationship with with folks right right but you also have to prove yourself too right like so some guys they don't know you from a hole in the wall and and when you st you first start doing business with them they'll be like you know who's the suit you know the dude in the suit that's just coming around with you know slinging cash around um so i had to spend the first year really just getting dirty um, and, and some, and most guys, when they see me, I'm not in, you know, wealth doesn't look like a suit and tie and, you know, a briefcase in my world anymore. So, you know, wealth to me, you know, is doing the dirty work that no one else is willing to do. And so a lot of times the, the dirtier I get is actually the stuff that no one is willing to do. You know, you see stuff from, you know, dead cats, squirrels, you know, you see all type of stuff that has to be picked up, I'm good. you know. Yeah, a lot of people don't, you know, um, runs to the, you know, runs to the store. And it's, it's funny because, like, I never thought that I'd have to do that kind of stuff. But, like, you know, going to get lumber when the con when the uh, the framer, he's framing and you might run out of, he may run out of, like, shots and pins or something like that. And he'll just sit there, you know, and may not move until, you know, he has the things he needs. And so, um I'll make that run to go get what he needs. But again, it's all for the bigger picture. 
um, it's for the sake of the timeline, the project, and then you understand your your ultimate goal, right? Which is you're you're getting to the finish line, completing completing the project, going to market, and that's where you add your value. Um, and so I you you know the the more successful people have pockets of of places where they just add value, right? It's not like there's not this one big silver bullet solution that says, hey, if I do this one thing, I'll be rich. No, it's actually day over day, month over month, year after year, you're constantly adding a little bit of value here and there. And that's where I found my pocket of success. So we, so what, what is it that makes you a little bit different? You know, I was, I was very surprised to see, because when I came by one of your sites, man, to see how hands-on you are. Because, you know, we was going over numbers. I'm like, man, how are, how are you able to get these numbers on your rehab? Yeah. And you telling yeah. me, like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm putting no drywall in. I'm, I'm doing carpentry, too, bro. Grab, grab that hammer over there. I'm like, bro, I'm, yeah. I'm not trying to mess up my wingtips, man. What, <laughs> what, what's different about um, your approach to development? Um, so the what differentiates me is the fact that I chose to be hands-on. But the reason behind that was because um, I at first had a more automated approach where I would find a contractor, I, I get the property, find a contractor, marry the two together, say, all right, go call me when the place is done, right? Cut them a check, walked away. I'll probably check in maybe like once a week, walked in just you know, I was the suit walking in pointing around saying, yep, fix this, move that, you know, I don't like that, whatever. And so then it was like, okay, but you, that comes at a cost, right? And so when you think of the cost of rehabbing a two flat for in Chicago, again, you're on average, you're going to pay about 50 to 60,000 a door for if you just hire a contractor and walk away, right? So your budget to gut, gut a two flat is likely going to be somewhere around you know, that 160 uh, to 200K, depending on how fancy you want to get and what kind of belts you're in. And, you know, it, it, it has some, you know, some fluctuation depending on your personal style and how high end you want it. Um, however, after doing two deals like that, I noticed I had no margin left when I sold it. And so it was, or I was- no margin <laughs> By no margin, you mean like zero or you mean like it just wasn't worth what you got back? It wasn't worth it. And so it the projects were taking too long. I was paying just enough to make maybe $20,000 or $30,000, and it took nine months to do it. And so, you know, the projects were done well after fighting with the contractor the whole time. You know, you do the numbers and you walk away. And you notice that the contractor made thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars as the project manager. Um, there was a lot of materials and hidden costs, and you know, stuff in there is just a lot of fluff. And you realize, like, the contractor actually made more money than I did on the deal. It's always a contingency with contractors, man. It's always contingency. Oh, oh if you if you put ten percent contingency, they're going to use ten percent contingency, right? Yeah, because <laughs> they know it's there. They know your 203K has already approved it. They know that the funding is, is in there. So for, for right reasons, they're gonna they're gonna use you know as much of the money as possible because it ultimately benefits them. Um, so after doing those numbers two times and walking away with like 20,000 after the deal was sold, it was like, well, hell, the, the contractor just made 50, 50 bands on it. I only made 20. 
and I own the joint. Right. And he probably <laughs> you know? had multiple flips at the same time. Exactly. And so so then I had to really just peel back those layers and say, well, at minimum, I can take out 50,000 50, of this cost by just doing it myself and doing the pointing and the orchestrating. So basically, you're just quarterbacking the deal. I mean, you, you quarterback in the, the plumber, electrician, the HVAC guy, you know, the carpenter, and really you, you're doing the same thing he does, except, you know, he just may have the experience to do it or he's going to actually handle the materials. But again, for, you know, for 50 grand, I'll do it, <laughs> you know? Um, and so that was my philosophy because it made sense to me um, to just remove, I'm, I'm a big removal of the middleman. I don't like layers. I don't like going through people that don't have the ability to make decisions and realistically stuff just gets done faster because then the contractor has a story something happened somebody didn't show up to work somebody got hurt uh, you know there there was always like some reason why it wasn't done to my level of expectation I have pretty high standards so you know if it's going to be done with quality and I'm paying you for quality then I at least need it to be done exactly to my specifications and so I, I just wasn't getting that. And so um, so then I was like, all right, well, let me just try it myself. Let me just try one. Let me just, you know, I don't know if you ever heard when people say, just, just try doing something for six months and then see what the results look like. Um, so that was my that was my come to Jesus moment to myself where I was like, all right, Marcus, just it, it was almost like a scene out of Batman where he had to go back and he had to just totally strip himself down and kind of restart you know, and, 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 you know, rebuild himself back up. That's, that's kind of what it was. It was like, just lose the suit, lose the tie, lose the, you know, all the pretentiousness. You're not, you're not in corporate anymore. Just, just get that out your head. And so I had to get that out my head. And that's when, you know, I had to get dirty. And that's when you would come to the site. I had to get dirty because I had to learn. I had to learn how much, you know, a sheet of drywall costs. I had to learn how much, you know, a stick of lumber is. I had to learn, you know, how much pain is and this and that and this and that. And so you don't learn that in a book. You don't learn that on YouTube. You don't learn that on TV. Um, and you just have to see it for yourself and actually put the budget and do the numbers. And so that's what happened. Um, so I did it once and then it turned out I ended up making on that deal. I ended up making $50,000 more than I did before. It was like, oh, wow. We just made a discovery here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, moved, just trimmed the fat. And once you trim the fat, you realize maybe it's not that bad. Just placing orders and, you know, sourcing materials yourself. It's not that bad. Um, I'm losing weight. I get to be creative. I don't have to go to the gym anymore. You know? And so, um, yeah, I'm sure, and then I'm I'm sure you sleep good. Oh, I sleep very well. And it, it keeps me in shape. And, you know, and I, and I, I just learn. Um, I learn so much. Because then you get to call a lot of BS a lot of times, right? You get to talk to your electrician and say, you don't really need that, do you? Or the plumber that'll say, you know, well, I need X, Y, Z. And you, you can kind of like call BS a little bit more or with your framer and say, you know, we can do that with 20% less. And so once they, that exercise happens over and over and over and over again, then you get to true cost, true labor, true value, um, which is where which is where you come in at, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, a piece of real estate, that's a product, right? And you, you want to create as much value and margin off of that product. 
And if you're not able to do that, then you're just doing the whole exercise for nothing. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people that they don't really do the numbers. And there's a lot of allure behind just doing a deal. They're like, I'm in real estate. I'm doing real estate. But some people, they're just not even making money. They're just, they're just doing it. And they're just going through the exercise. So... And that's dope, man. I appreciate that. I mean, so are you pretty much self-taught when it comes to a lot of the stuff that, that you've well, been doing? I think that's relative. I think there's a level of um, experience and making a lot of mistakes. So I think I took I took so many L's that you just learn how to not take L's anymore. Right. And so you have to just continue to do. You got to like run as fast as you can, do as many projects as you can fall as many times as you can, but you're going to fall, fall fast and fall quick and hurry up and get it out the way. And so that's where, that's kind of what happens to me. So when I, when you say self-taught, yeah, I, I learned like baptism by fire. I learned by throwing myself in a pool, not knowing how to swim. Right. <laughs> so I just started kicking and paddling and then eventually, yeah, I learned how to swim. And so then that, that's where, like you said, that's where the courage comes in. That you just have to engulf and immerse yourself in it for long enough that you understand how to discern the real versus well, what matters versus what doesn't. So we, we had this conversation uh, yesterday or day before when I talked mm -hmm. to you and you, we saying, OK. Flipping versus uh, buying hope. Yep. So. Yep. I, you could have easily did a buy and hold way because you have a you making an excellent salary. Yeah. I don't know if your wife works or not, but if she does, then that's she two does. incomes. Yep. You no, know, you you know, you're doing well in your career too. So you have yep. st stability there. Yep. So you could have easily did the buy and hold, you know, yep. which is the strategy that that I gravitate towards. But yep. why um development? um time in terms of like financial so we both trying to get to let's say a million dollars yeah right. why 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 development time i i be i guess the 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 key thing is time um so when you when a person thinks about their goal and what their number is at first my number when i was in corporate was by the time i hit 50 i wanted a million dollars that was in my head. I was just like, in my 401k, I'm going to save. It's going to compound at 7, 8, 10%. And by the time I'm 50, this number should compound to about a million dollars and I'm going to retire. Mm -hmm. um, then my, my experience opened up into rehabbing. So to, to that point, I had hold. I had, um, I had about like six units. I didn't have a lot. I had like six units. Um, on average was doing about a thousand dollars a unit. So six grand a month. And um, I think out of pocket between the mortgages, whatever, I think I was paying like 3,500 for a grand. So I was making like $2,500 a month. Um, okay. Numbers in terms of cap rate, you know, that that's not, that's not bad. However, um, when you think about compounding, cause it's all numbers, right? So when you think about compounding a dollar, you say, okay, well, if I were to divest or if I were to acquire, add value, divest, acquire, add value, divest, technically what that's what we know as flipping, 
in the you know in the corporate space or in the business space, that's what you're doing. You're acquiring, adding value, and investing, and then you're taking that margin and then you're reinvesting it. So that million dollars actually becomes a very attainable number very quickly. So in the let's say in the flipping world, as we commonly know it as, you can make a million dollars in three years. Like that's not a unattainable goal. Um, but then you can take that million after three years and then you could in fact do it and compound it again and again and again. So then after that 10 year period, that million that you wanted actually looks more like seven to 10 million, depending on your margin and depend on how you're investing and reinvesting those dollars. So that's actually what happens in the business space is that you, you take it and you actually you, you're almost underestimating how much the dollar can compound by not leveraging it properly, if that makes sense. Yeah. There is no right or wrong answer, though, because a rental approach is a very passive approach if you do your due diligence up front. You did the acquisition. You did it at a good number. You know, you put great tenants in there. You make it Section 8, which is guaranteed rental income. That's great. That's great. Nothing wrong with that. However, if you say, well, I just want a million dollars by 50, my argument would be, all right, well, go flip 10 properties and then there's a million right there and then just go chill. You know, so it, it really depends on what your real goal is. And so my mine is more of a, 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 a realistic number that looks much larger than a million now, because, you know, in, in two years, I mean, it's, it's not unheard of to, to get $500,000 in two years off of flips. Like that's not... That's not a difficult task. And I, I have this saying that, you know, making $100,000 off of a flip is $100,000 rent checks, right? And so you would think, how long does it take to get a thousand, you know, a hundred rent checks at a thousand dollars? So, you know, 12 months, if you're doing 10 units or 10 doors, you would have to have 10, you know, 10 units, a thousand dollars a unit for a year to, to hit that number, you know, minus whatever maintenance or holding costs it is. So, and that's the other benefit with um, what we know is flipping is that once you're done, you're done. There is no, you know, there's no going back to fix the sink. There's no toilet to fix. There's no, you, there's a very clear and definitive beginning. There's a middle, there's an ending, and then you move on. Um, Rental strategies can can be great, and I will have to do them eventually. But it, it just doesn't make sense in terms of time to not take advantage of compounding. Man, so my thing is my thing with flipping is, is the the to me it seems more risky. But I guess if you're hands on, you kind of eliminate that risk. It's very risky. It is. But uh, and then just the um. The work that you got to put in, you know, <laughs> no one wants to do the work, <laughs> you know, yeah. the work no that you have to, to get work. in. And, you know, you do have to, um, it's not passive at all because I guess I would say, I mean, with real estate period, you make your money when you, as soon as you buy the property, mm-hmm. but that's really the case with, um, flipping. You yep. have to, your acquisition costs have to be at a point where you can exit the property and, and at least be whole, you know, because yeah. as an insurance agent, man, I hear horror stories of stuff being stolen, yeah. property being stale, contractor not working out. How, yeah. are you, how are you, um, 
I mean, I know you talked about, you know, you're in the weeds too, but what, what are other things that you're doing to um, mitigate that risk? Well, the being there every day, I think that that's what helps mitigate that risk because to your point with what we know as flipping, there's a lot of risk if you don't pay attention, right? There's break-ins, there's fires if people leave a tool, um, a space heater on, because it's like it's cold now, they blast a, a temp heater. Well, what happens. about what about in terms of like acquiring a properties? Like, I'm sure you don't acquire properties the same way that most people would. Like, what approach are you using? Oh, okay. So like, so it's a mix. I think after you develop a brand as a real estate investor, you get your phone rings a little bit more, right? So you 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 know whether you're a real estate agent or real estate investor, once your brand is just known that you're the guy that, you know, he pays cash for properties, they'll say, all right, well, my, my grandmother is, she's getting too old, you know, come, come by and just take a look at this place. Um, and so we do that sometimes. Or um, the MLS, I mean, there's some good stuff on the MLS. I mean, then you got a lot of people that just, um, just call you or they'll just send you email lists. And it's, it's just a lot of weeding through. They got people that uh, wholesalers, wholesalers will call you a lot. Um, again, just because they know if you got 75 or $100,000 cash, they know, hey, I could call Marcus if this property is good and he likes it, you know, he could close in, in three days, you know. So it, you know, once you become branded as that person that can execute on a deal relatively quickly, um, you'll take them as is. Um, you don't need, like, you don't have to babysit or handhold me. Like, you know, the attorneys are in place, the agents are in place. You just send over the contract. They'll look at it. Um, you know, they'll, they'll scan it, send it over to me. I, I do a, a prelim budget for my, my contractor crew, hand it to them and say, hey, can we do this for X? They'll say, say yeah, package it together. All right, cool. We'll, we'll buy it for X, you know, whatever the agreed upon price is. So, um, so it's a mixture. I don't think I, there's no, I don't have a, like a plug that just one guy calls me and is just like, I got a, a thousand properties for you. It's not like that. But a part of your strategy is to, to, to purchase these properties in cash. Um, well, I prefer OPM, other people's money, but uh, cash just makes you a little more agile. And if you do an acquisition cash, that's not to say you could just do the acquisition cash and then just finance it out. Like that's too with some some investors. So for people watching, like what's the benefit like to, to purchasing? What's the benefit? What's the benefit to purchasing something in cash? Um agility, really. Um many, many sellers know that you don't have to wait a hundred cash in the bank, then that's your 100 cash. I don't have to call, um, you know, I don't have to call. I don't have to shop it. We don't have to underwrite it. We don't have to get inspections. We don't have to get it appraised. It doesn't have to appraise out. Um, I don't have to do all of that. I, I just take it as is, and then I take the consequences. But again, that's that I take as an investor. And so I say, I'm willing to take on the risk don't worry about it. Just give me the keys. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So we talked about, acquiring, oh. 
and and also how you work on them. But what about building a team? I mean, for these things to go right, I know you have a 23-person crew. That's a lot of moving parts. That's a lot of yeah. personalities, yeah. you know, and a lot of these guys, you know, they ain't been through orientation that, you know, you know, certain certain businesses, man. So they might have, they may be rough on the edges, but oh, yeah. you have a brand, you know, everybody yeah. got a family to feed. How do you, how do you vet folks? Cause they might be great workers, which a lot of contract, you know, which a lot of those trades people are, but then they not right personality fits or vice versa, you know? Right. Um, I mean, and you, you know, this just, just managing teams of your own. I mean, I think people are always people, right? And so you have to have a very clear vision of what you want. And I think the key word there is just culture, right? You have to, your brand speaks for the culture of your team. And so everyone has to know how you respond to certain adversities, right? And so, um, you know, if you're known as the guy that doesn't pay, pay people on time, or if you're known as the guy that, is going to try to cut a lot of corners on the work or you don't allow them to just be their creative selves that comes with um some levels of adversity right um to answer more specifically your question it takes a lot of time to build a strong team a lot of time um and you literally develop this very strong nucleus and then you have to put one person on at a time you can't just have an open house, hire 23 people and say, all right, guys, let's run together. Um, I, 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 I almost attributed it to like building a basketball team. You get your LeBron, you get your AD, and then you build a team around it. <laughs> like you just need, you need people who are role players versus I need everybody to be good at hundred percent. Nobody is going to be hundred percent of everything you needed to be. So you need your LeBron, you need your AD, <laughs> and you know and then you get supporting cast members to build around those the strong nucleus um it takes a lot of time it takes a lot of conversations um every morning we have a staff meeting after every project we do a post-mortem what worked what didn't start stop continue that's the stuff i kind of take from corporate um when people are messing up having one-on-one -on -one conversations versus putting them on blast in front of everybody um you know, those are some of the things like I made mistakes of, you know, telling people things publicly in front of everybody versus pulling them to the side to give them a little more, um, you know, just a little more dignity with that constructive feedback. Because this is a different world in construction. Like it, people see your mistakes and if they need to fix it, it, like if they don't fix it, everybody sees it. You know what I mean? Like if the plumber doesn't put things in the right place, everybody sees it. The carpenter does a wall wrong, everybody sees it. So and you want that to go in the quality of your work. So you want your product to be A1 because it shows when you go to market, when you get in inspections, when you get in appraisals done. If a door is crooked, you know, it doesn't close all the way. They're going to say, man, you had a terrible carpenter. You know what I mean? So you have to vet people and you got to be, you have to be, you have to hire fire fast. You have to fire. Like, I, I mean, to get to 23 people, I have to go through 300. Easily, easily. So, what is it like to, to manage people that, that probably know way more than you, you know, and probably are, you know, been doing it <laughs> way longer, no way more? You know, how do you assert yourself as the person, as the leader? 
you have to be very honest with them. I, I tell my guys all the time, I need to be the dumbest person in this room right now. I shouldn't know how to be a better plumber than the plumber. The reason why you the plumber is because you, you are the best plumber in this building. I, I go to you for advice. I go to you for what best practice is. You are my subject matter expert on plumbing. You are the guy that does this specific task. Um, and so the same with my carpenter, same with my electrician, same with, with them. I want them to be the smartest. I want them to be the best because if they're not the best, then we collectively can't be the best. So my job is to be a servant leader from the back and not from the front, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, my job is to make sure that they succeed and they look good. They get paid on time. They can put food on the table for their families. Um, and that cre- that makes them work harder for the group, for the unit for the team. Um, I tell them, I don't have any employees. We're partners, right? We're, we are all a part of this, this, this project that everyone plays a role in and they have to understand what they all do understand that your success will dictate our success. And so my job is to make sure that you're successful. Um, and so they know that like, I'm, usually, I'm, I'm, I'm young, I mean, I'm 40 now, but like, um, you know, a lot of the guys will be like 50, 60 years old, 30 years of experience, been doing this since, you know, I, I was, you know, I wasn't even on this earth. So, but they, you have to understand what their needs are. You have to pull them to the side and say, well, what do you ultimately want? What do you, what does your next three to five years look like for you? Do you want to be a plumber for the next three to five years? Do you want to continue to do projects like this? You have to continue to have those t- level of personnel conversations because ultimately you know the plumber just may want to be a good plumber and he just wants to go home at the end of the day he didn't have career aspirations to go be a developer or to do massive scale projects you know so he may be content with saying hey i just want to do your properties pay me well and we can do this for the next 10 years and i'm good with that you know some people they have aspirations to eventually have equity ownership so then you have to craft incentives that say okay this is what that package looks like. No two, no two people are the same. And so a part of my job is understanding what everyone's needs are, because the reality is they could be very good carpenters, plumbers, or electricians, but there's a lot more to a person other than what they do that comes to work with them, right? Because that's where people have, people gone people and people gonna have problems. So if their cars broke down, but they're a damn good electrician, I tackle the car and not the electrician. Does that make sense? No, that's that's hundred percent. Yeah, project got to get done. So you can't be in your feelings when uh the car break down. You like, yo, where you at? Right. I'm on my way. I'm about to come get you. We're gonna handle that. Right. Too. Right. So then I may. So I have issues like if my HVAC got like I've had issues where like. One of my guys, his truck got broken into and all of his tools got stolen. Right. He's a he's a great he's a great tradesman for what he does. Christmas, somebody broke into his truck, took all his tools. Probably I would say easily about like twelve hundred dollars worth of tools. Right. This is what helps him do his job and what helps him complete my projects. Right. Mm -hmm. So as we're in the middle of this project and he's roughing in. You know, one approach is to say, well, you need to figure it out. You need to be able to, to not get your truck broken into and point the finger at him and tell him how he could have done better. My approach is to say, well, what do you need to get you back on track? 
And so we have to work out to say, hey, all right, I may front him 1200, say, go get all your tools, go get everything you need, everything will be brand spanking new, and then we'll take it out of the back end of whatever you know, our contract was to help again usher and mitigate things and keep them moving. He appreciates it. It saved his Christmas because he was crying and didn't know what he was going to do and how he was going to work it out. You know, so it, you have to create these win-win scenarios because, I mean, you know, when you're managing people, you get adversity all the time. People the time. always have problems. So <laughs> all the time. And so your job is literally to be a problem solver. So yeah. that, so, every, so everybody knows I don't know how to do anything. Everybody knows. At most, I know how to sweep and clean better yeah. than anybody else. Right. I, I don't I don't know how to be a good carpenter. I don't know how to be a good plumber or electrician. So that's that's the key of I am the problem solver. And so everyone goes to me when there's a problem and they say, hey, Marcus, can you fix it? And that's my job is to fix it. Man. So how how has, um you know, when we talk about these interruptions, man, how how has like COVID changed? Like, I mean, I know it's still a hot market. It's a seller's market. And um yeah. People are still buying, but just from a, a processing or having yeah. processes in place and being quality control, like how has COVID, yeah. how has that changed the way you do things? Um, so when that's a great question. So when the pandemic first hit, we were about 75% of the way through our project. And we were about to go to market um, in about four weeks. Um, the drywalls were still there. They Well, they were... They were finishing up drywall. That start painting all of the cabinets and all that stuff was coming in. Governor shuts down everything. It was like, all right, everybody go home. Mayor, mayor and governor, they they start having weekly meetings. It's like everybody go home. I didn't know how bad COVID was. I mean, I think it was new for a lot of us. This was back in like March. Mm -hmm. So basically, I sent everybody home for the week until I needed time to figure it out. So as a as a leader, um, you know, they look to you to not only, you know, pay them well, you know, make sure they're compensated, make sure, you know, their needs are met, but also that you keep them safe, right? And so that's where, as a leader, the hard decisions need to be made. And so, yeah, I sent everybody home. I was like, let me, let me figure out how bad this COVID thing is. Um, I'll still pay everybody for the week. There'll be no gaps in your salary, anything like that. So don't worry about that. Just go home. Um, so everybody went home. Um, I started to make a few phone calls, call some other contractors, see what they were doing. Um, call my investors. I had to tell them like, look, um, we got to shut stuff down until we figure some stuff out. I'm gonna need some extensions on these deadlines. Um, and they understood. They're like, okay, yeah, I'm home too. You know, corporate sent me home. So, uh, everybody was very understanding. And so then I had to make, essentially take that four week timeline and stretch it out to six. And I went from a five-day operation to a seven-day operation, but um, I only had, I had to actually separate people by floor. <laughs> it was really weird. I had to separate people by floor. Um, I only had, I had to do the project where only certain people went in at, the, at a time. So like when the countertops got delivered, nobody else was there. So everybody left, countertop guys came and put the countertops in. Then they left. Then the carpenter came, you know, put up and hung cabinets. Then he uh, left. Uh, then the electrician came. 
He came to his thing. Then he That's crazy. So that went on and on for about six weeks just to Yo, get us to finish. Bro. How did you manage that, bro? I mean, shit, I, I would have had a fucking breakdown. <laughs> yeah, I, you know I mean, saying? I thought I was because I actually didn't. I thought it was gonna get worse. I thought they because I got so scared because I thought they was gonna start martial law and start giving us tickets if they just saw us driving down the street. Um, so I I I didn't know. Um, deliveries from you know my suppliers they got a little wonky. Um, testing was not a thing back in March and April. Like we didn't have COVID tests then, um, so. You didn't know who who had who didn't how bad it was. If a person coughed, you was like, "Go right. home." <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So no, we so had to then, shut down my office too. So I I definitely sympathize with that. I had an employee, she got COVID, and uh, we had to mm -hmm. shut down. So yeah, you know, man, it's you gotta be. It's like what you gonna do? You gonna feel sorry right. for yourself because that ain't gonna do nothing. So you just gotta. You know, you're the one in charge, man. You're the boss, so you got to go ahead and, and put stuff in place so that everybody can keep getting paid. Yeah. Be safe, man. Um, yeah. Yeah. So COVID that's... testing helped for me. I don't know about you, but COVID testing helped for me. So now I have my main guys. We just get tested every Monday. Like, we just got a place we go to. We get tested on Monday. We get the results back by, like, Wednesday, Thursday to make sure everybody's good. So oh, that, that kind of that, – that helped just to, you know, just to, to know where we stand. Yeah. So, so when it comes to like investors, man, I mean, are you as a person that's really trying to scale, like, do you have investor packets that you send out to folks or do people hit you up like, Hey, how can I get in on a deal? Um, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> when I first got started, nobody wanted to invest in me. It was the weird thing. Well, why, um, why would they, man? <laughs> um, because you knew, right. You knew, <laughs> you knew, right. Like, uh, I'll be real, like when I was doing my nine to five and I was still in corporate, you know, people looked at me like, oh, this is that little hobby that just does, right? Like Mark, yeah. Marcus just does these little flips on the side, you know. And Then they see your crib, that. they like, damn, that hobby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they like, they, they didn't know whether the money came from corporate or whether it came from, you know, my real estate ventures, right? Or the stock market, because I, I, I dabble a lot in the stock market, right? So then it was like, all right, we don't know where this man getting this money from. So I'm not really trying to invest in him like that. So then I did I did three flips and left corporate. And I think when I left corporate, that's when people knew how serious I was. Yeah. Um, and then people started coming to the sites. Um, they saw I was dirty just like everybody else. <laughs> um, and then, you know, some people need receipts, man. Like some people just need to see, like, I'm about this life. Like I, I come from a humble background and I'm not too good or above anything. But that, that um, makes you better, though, right? Oh, absolutely. When, absolutely. When, when, people want it, when we, people want that proof, you know, that makes right. you better. Right. And they, they know that I'm on site. They know that um, they have some sense of security that, again, after doing three flips, I had the money at that point to do it myself. But again, it helps to scale it to your point when you have other financing or other areas of avenues financing. And then I just had everything my flips. I had that as collateral. Right. So then I can invest that in the stock market and let that grow, you know, so the market, you know, is doing something favorable. It's growing. Personal stuff is growing. But again, if the place catches fire, I can always just go sell, sell all my stocks and say, all right, Mr. Investor. Yeah, the building caught fire. It didn't work out. Here's your check still. So then it, that happened probably about another like three or four projects. And then it was like, all right, I don't need the investors anymore. Um, and then we started to move to institutional finance because then it was like, all right, you did eight flips. Um, now banks start to listen and they start throwing you 
you know, they start opening up their wallets and pocketbooks and saying, all right, yeah, you know, you actually do do this. You're a licensed contractor. You're insured. You got eight under your belt. Um, You got a staff of 20 people. Your your receipts look good. You got two years history, yada, 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 yada. And then it's like, all right, here's a credit line for, you know, well into six figures. You know what I mean? And so um, then the interest rate gets better and then the terms get more favorable. It's one of those things like. Right. Then they want to take you to the game. They want to take you to dinner. All of that. Yeah, and that so applies who, to so many things, man. But that's a good thing you brought bring up the bank, man. So we all know that key people that should be on a, a person's team in terms of real estate. We know tradesmen, but what yep. about those other individuals that keep you out of trouble yeah. in April? And you know, if that property does burn down or whatever, who are yeah. the key players that you have on your team in that regard? Or, yep. you know, if you were telling somebody like, hey, you're going to need a this or this or this. Oh, so so my my fave five, um, these are people, to your point, that aren't even in the property. Um, my accountant. So my accountant is is like my best friend at this point. Um, keep me out of trouble. Keep me honest. Um, keep my books clean. Make sure I'm held accountable. Um and to that point, like a lot of people don't realize, or it, it's it's crazy because your accountant, it you know when you work a nine to five or you're not like an entrepreneur in, in my world, I only met my accountant once. Like I went once a year. Here's all my stuff. Go run the numbers. File my taxes. When you start to become an entrepreneur in my world, I don't know how it works. I don't know how with you, but like in my world, like I meet with my accountant once a quarter now. So we we have quarterly meetings because you know, where transactions are happening so fast and there's so much activity happening. Um, and then you start to, you know, my, my, my account says, you know, the more you make, you know, the more, you know, you're going to need to be engaged um, when it comes to taxes. So like, instead of getting one tax bill, like I actually pay my taxes once, like after every property, you know, or like once a quarter on average. Um, so when people talk about like Donald Trump, he never prepaid his taxes. That's not the thing. Like that's actually a thing. You can prepay your taxes so that you don't get a huge tax bill when the deadline comes. Um, so the, my accountant, um, I have two financial advisors that people I can just go to and just be like, hey, these are some endeavors that I'm thinking about. Here's the numbers. Do, does this make sense? Um, then my insurance person, right? Your insurance person. And I have different insurance people for different things. Um, so then you got contractor and builder insurance, you have property insurance, um, you got risk insurance. I mean, you you know this, but like for the people listening to your podcast, like there's so many different, you know, layers of insurance. Like I, you could, you easily could have, I easily have at least three different insurance agents mm-hmm. um, for three different things. Um, and my attorney. Uh, I got two attorneys. Um, so two attorneys, uh, you got to have that. One is a real estate specific attorney. Um, I wouldn't recommend if you're doing real estate, you, you do business with someone who's not a specific real estate attorney um, that understands um, real estate law, um, how to finance or how to do like transactions, closings, you know, all that stuff. Um, and understand the verbiage because there's real estate verbiage that's much different than I've had an attorney that was like, a, a, a civil rights attorney doing like real estate <laughs> transactions at first, right? Um, I thought it was like, well, this law, right? You understand? And he, you know, he didn't, he didn't get it, so I had to fire him. But like, you know, um, so that, and then um, 
I'm trying to think. Oh, and real estate agent. Sorry, your real estate agent is your plug. Yeah. Um, yeah, you gotta have a good agent, man. Your agent that can um, make sure your appraisals come back at value. Your, um, you know, they're your eyes to the market. They could do the CMAs for you. They can um, make sure you know the ARVs. You know, when you go into the deals, and you know, I'll say, hey, you know, here's the property. I just bought it. Um, how much money? you know, should I put in this? Cause I need to know how much it's going to be worth when I'm done in four months. Right. Um, and so I need him to do a, a market analysis and say, yep, this place is going to sell for more than 350. So don't bother putting X, Y, Z in it. So, um, cause I could get, I could get kind of high end when it comes to cost and budget. So, um, so that's the team. That's the team. Damn. So what, so how do you limit your tax liability, man? Cause you know, when you're getting checks, 50 K plus, yeah. No, I mean, essentially, you know, I mean, that's a lot of bread and that's a lot of responsibility yeah. for you to self-report and yeah. you know, do all of those things. How do you limit your tax liability? Um, well, really, and I, I'm not a tax expert, but most of that comes from your conversations with your accountant. Right. They'll give you a lot of strategies. Um, they'll give you a lot of um, just advice on um, what to do and what not to do. Um, you know, when you talk about, uh, itemizing deductions, um, maximizing your expenses for the year, um, you know, sometimes I might push a closing out to the next year just so that I don't, you know, if you, you know, you want to not take the capital gains on it instead of closing on December 30th of 2020, you may say, all right, well, let's just kick it out a week and then we can pay those capital gains in 2022. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. So so um, auto expenses, um, maximizing mileage and fuel, um, you know, all, all of that, you know, setting up uh, SEP IRA plans and maximizing contributions to, you know, as individuals. Absolutely. Um, so individual, yeah. So individual SEP IRAs and 401ks, you, you max those out. You, could, you can, a lot of people don't, you could dump $57,000 into those, you know, and it's totally deductible. Um, yeah. Your car. Yeah. You know, like all, you know, your car, your meals, um, Trump passed a tax law that 100% of your meals for 2020 will be tax deductible. So, you know, when I'm when I'm treating my 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 team to tacos every Friday, you know, that's, you know, my team got to eat too. Right. And so, like, that's 100% deductible for me, uh, you know, technically. And these are all things you learn when you have, you know, quality people in place so a lot of yeah. what, I, what i learned on this show and just even in the mistakes i made you know let the professionals do you know what they supposed to do yeah you could probably do your taxes yourself you know what i'm saying yeah. but why not have somebody who does that lives it and breathes it you know why why not have them do that for you yeah I, i'm not, i don't have that level of pride that i need to be smarter than my accountant that's why that that's why my accountant pays six figures to get that that CPA license. I, I I go the cheap route and I'll just pay you to use yours, you know, and use your brain. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't I, I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to go to law school. That's not my that's not my bag. So what's the end what's the end game? Um the end game is to maximize value, right? I think that the the end game is to make as much impact um and maximize wealth. Um, I, I think also as, you know, as African-Americans, we need to start normalizing conversations about wealth and money. Um, I don't think we do that enough. 
um, and to help as many people as possible. So my end game is to empower. Uh, my end game is to, I mean, my, my number now has, has got an extra zero behind it. Whoa. <laughs> 10, yeah. we're talking, we talking about 10. What we talking yeah, about? Yeah, so so ideally, and I I mean I and I, I believe in speaking things into existence, but yeah, so my end goal is um by 50, um, I want to be the 10 million dollar man. I, I don't know. I mean, I and, and now can you do that through flipping? Can you do that through flipping houses? Uh no, it it wouldn't be all through flipping at all. No, you you I mean you can people sleep on the stock be, market that compound interest, yeah. Yeah, yeah so I mean <laughs> numerically you talk about compound we're, we're just talking about compounding right and so right. you know if you you know your first million is the most challenging to make once you make the first million you kind of get like a sense of okay this is 80 percent of this million came from this or 60 percent of it came from that um you know 20 or 30 of it came from the stock market right like you may you have but you have to know your numbers and you have to know where the margin is and so once you once you say all right i got to the million it took me, it took me five years to get there, but if I can compound it, and because it really is all numbers, like after a while, money is just money. Like you don't, you don't really have this like, and maybe I'm speaking for myself and like the other, like the other people that I know that are millionaires. After a while, it just becomes a number, right? Like it, it is uh, the, power. The other millionaires. I like that. I like that quote. I mean, well, I, I believe. I also believe like you should at least get to know and a lot of people are millionaires you just don't know it right like a lot of yeah you you know it if you are uh, if you go to the bank you have to fill out that statement of net worth <laughs> you know what i mean yeah you'd be like right. once you, oh once wow you I, didn't, paper, I didn't know that yeah yeah once you put it on paper some people are millionaires and they don't know it but then you have people who are you know more let's just call them um cash millionaires that they can show like hey in my stock account i got a million in here or five million yeah, I, ain't, here. I ain't got that i'm the I know we're yeah. gonna have to sell that. We're gonna have to sell that. <laughs> and that's and that's cool too. Some people are are, are real estate, you know, there's are in the form of property, but it's to be honest, it's just a there is no difference. It's just one is liquid and one isn't, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but if you went to go sell everything today, it would show up in your account the same way it would for a cash millionaire. Uh, but yours continues to generate, you know, generate passive income in one way, and theirs is through dividends. Right. So you know, there again, there's no silver bullet solution. There's no right or wrong answer. And everybody can get to the same, you know, to the same number differently. Um, some are going to take longer than others. But like once you learn the value of compounding, it, it opens up your mind to a whole different world. Like when you're when you work a nine to five and you just put in, you know, a hundred dollars a month in a 401k account, you can't conceptualize $10 million because that's a very hard number to get to. Well, it goes back to your point about in the beginning when you said, uh, like, when you became an entrepreneur, I forgot the word you used, but, you know, you start, you, you when you're an entrepreneur, you start pulling out your compound interest calculator all mm -hmm. the time. You know, you're right. looking at that number, that 10 million. When you're in corporate, you're not really you're like, okay, when I'm 65, I retire. All I know is I'm going to be straight after that. Right. But when you're um entrepreneur, you're like, man. Do I want to work to 60 or 50? You know, if right. I want to work to 50, you know, I might need to buy some more Tesla. Or once I flip right. this, I'm gonna put it here, you know. So right. so yeah, I know hundred percent, man. I think um it, I mean compound interest, that that's a more of an important class than algebra and calculus. I mean, just absolutely compound, like if you just 
because that applies to not just math, but it just applies to like knowledge. You know what I'm saying? Like Absolutely. if if you take care of your son and then your son take care of his son, it's like that's compound interest right there. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So Absolutely. That whole phenomenon of compound interest, man, I, I love it. And uh, I just wish I would have been a lot more intentional when I started, you know, being serious about about money, you know, in the stock market. But I mean, it's, you know, we could talk about compound interest forever because that's just a beautiful, <laughs> a beautiful well, thing. And, and that's and I think that's the that's the key thing that um, once once you know how it works and you've actually seen it happen. Yeah. then the numbers that people throw out actually aren't that unattainable. Right. Like, and to your point, like, um, you know, there's books that talk about like the 80, 80, 20 rule and you know, how, how 20% of the things you do can be responsible for 80% of your wealth. Like, I mean, these are very, we're, we're talking about leverage. Um, Jay-Z, you know, I think he's the goat when it comes to really explaining this through song and music, you know, turn 125 to 250, 250 to a half mil. Now, what else you gonna do with it? You know, like these are things like crazy, bro. That 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 crazy. is a real thing. <laughs> like, right, like that that's shit, not just that shit lands on me like, oh <laughs> right. Like that's that's a real thing, man. Like, yeah. you know, and so when we talk about like people who are ultra wealthy and ultra rich, um, it really isn't because they they're doing something on a day-to-day to get them you know, to be, you know, you know, every venture didn't get them a million dollars. It just compounds over time. Mm. And it gets to a point where the money just grows on its own. Uh, and it's so just here's, through here's, here's, here's the thing, man. I was just, I just became aware of this. I don't know how I just showed up in my time. I said, Warren Buffett um, attained 99% of his wealth after the age of 50. Right. That's compound interest. That's the definition of compound interest. Right there, all this dude right. does is invest. That's all he does. <laughs> right, is invest. It, it, and that's and that's the thing, Josh. At some point, at a certain point, money just does make money. Like, yeah. and and also just putting things out into the world just come back to you. You know, when you're a when you're an honest and decent human being, and you do good good deals, people just attract to you. Like money just attracts to you. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like when you treat your staff with respect, then they tell their friends. And they say, hey, I got this guy, Marcus, that he pays on time. He cool. And, you right. Know, all he the, pays all on time. <laughs> right? Because a lot of people don't pay on time. Some people, like, pay some of my guys on their days off of holidays. Like, I have sick pay. Like, some people just don't do that. But it's, it's crazy. Like, it's crazy. It's crazy how much of a competitive advantage just being responsible and, and respectable. <laughs> just being <laughs> right, an honest and decent human being um, who, who who just tells you the truth and keeps it real. Like, that's a rare quality, you know? And so people just value that. And so you'll start to see, like, the, the more honest you are, the more uh, compassionate you are, um, people just kind of attract to you. Money attracts to you. Uh, people start just throwing you money and be like, hey, man, I want to invest. Like, I, here's 100000 Can you put this towards one of your projects like patents you know yeah and so that's how compounding happens like any of us would easily hand warren buffett our last dime right exactly. exactly right like i would give jay-z my everything i have because I, I know jay could flip it right, right. like um Absolutely. and so and so we you know once we develop that brand at our level you know there it's not unattainable and, mm-hmm. and i would challenge people to just literally just take a calculator put in a hundred thousand and just put times 1.2 and just hit 
equal, 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 and just keep hitting it 10 times, right? <laughs> and then that's all compounding is. We're not talking about, you know, some magic in the hills that isn't accessible, right? Like we're just talking math. And yeah, so that's scary. So that, that's really it, man. That's scary. That's really it. So I say ho for appreciation, for cash flow, taxes. Mm-hmm. Marcus says, nah, bruh. <laughs> nah. <laughs> No, I don't. I don't say no. I don't say no. But but what I do say is understand your numbers and time. Right. And so one thing that we to your point and a lot of people say is, man, well, if I knew then what I know now, I would have taken advantage of it. Mm -hmm. Well, my my philosophy is if I'm 40 years old and I have the strength and wherewithal in my body. And I have the tools, the knowledge, and the expertise to do, to to compound dollars at a faster rate. Take advantage of this time so that when it's time for larger opportunities, you are in a financial position to do that. So that's no, that's no different than Amazon being cash heavy, Google being cash heavy, um, Tesla being cash heavy. So that when these opportunities come for the 50 unit building, right. you're in a position to do it. Versus if you're cash, if you're if you're cash poor but building rich, then someone comes to you and says, Hey, I have this 50 unit for a million dollars. You'll say, All right, all right, hold on. I gotta go sell this and I gotta go call such and such, versus someone who's cash heavy and has been doing flips and just has it in a stock account can say, All right, well, I could just leverage this. Here's because for an investor, you only need 20%, right? And so you say for a million dollars, I just need 200 grand, and then I can leverage my line of credit for the other 800 grand. Man. So again, that's leveraging to, but the more cash you have, the more you can leverage. So that's how but I think cash is king. Cash. cash is king. Cash. But and then when you start to leverage it and understand the power of credit, then that cash is only 20%. What as that cash, let me say it a different way that cash is actually a fifth of your buying power. So think of it that way. Your so what's cash, the other 80? So the other uh, 80 is credit. Oh, okay. So that's other people's money, right? Right, right, right. right. So for every- Oh so man, every, that's a fact. That's a fact. So for every $100,000 you have, that's $500,000 in investing power. Like just pause there for every $100,000 you have, that's five hundred thousand dollars in buying power. Yeah, no, that's real because I mean that goes with refinancing, that goes with purchasing commercial properties, all of that. Yep. Even hard money lenders. Like I went to hard money, they was like, "Well, we'll give you uh five times uh, however much cash you got on hand." Exactly. I, I remember seeing that, and get, I think that was the first time I got approved for like a million dollars. I was like, just seeing exactly. that approval, I was like, "Damn, I made it!" But exactly. to your point. You, you have to know how money works. You know what I'm saying? Because you'll get fooled thinking that you could just put that, spend that money and you straight, you, you got to have an exit strategy and you got to be, you know, you, you got to know what you're doing, but, but yeah, you're a hundred percent right, man. You're a hundred percent right. So yeah, because if you can't, if you can't manage a thousand dollars, you can't manage a hundred thousand dollars. Nope. Right? Nope. I tell yeah, people yeah. that all the time, man, you know, even when they say stuff about like, certain actors or like the Kardashians or whatever, you yeah. know, oh, they only got this because of such and such. I'm like, they, they might've got that start 
but right. it's hard to sustain that shit. You can't just be don't 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 think that Kim Kardashian is just smiling. You know what I'm saying every day, right. and and right. they them daughters is just smiling. Like it it ain't easy to get to a billion dollars. I don't care who your mama is, who your daddy is. That shit is that's some work. But well, I want to ask you this question, man, before we leave. Now, why do you, yep. why do people fail in real estate? Um, I think a lot of it's a combination of things. Um, and I, I and failure is a relative term. I understand the question. But I think it's a relative term. So, um, I've taken a lot of L's myself in real estate, but I look at the L's as lessons and and learning, right? And so. A lot of people in the definition of taking a loss or failure is A, you didn't do enough research or due diligence. Um, B, you didn't really do the numbers. Like you didn't really do the math behind it or you were overly optimistic about the math. You said, all right, I'll just spend 150,000 for this two flat. I know we got to gut it to the studs, but it'll work itself out later. I'll figure out a way to make it happen. And then next thing you know, you hired a contractor that, overcharged you, you pay too much for the building, you pay too much for the contractor, now you're underwater. And for that definition, you're in the red and now you got a, a very harsh decision to make. Um, so that happens a lot. People don't, don't do the numbers or the math behind it. Um, the second piece is um, they don't keep going. So they don't learn from the loss, right? <laughs> and so I, I'm an advocate of running fast. Run as fast as you can, right? Like go, full speed ahead. The problem is, or the challenge with that is, once you fall, make sure you understand what you just tripped over. Mm. You know what I mean? Like that's the, that's the big differentiator. Mm. A lot of people will just run and say, I fell. Yes. What did you trip over? And they were like, I don't know. I just remember I fell. Well, look at what you just tripped over and don't trip over it again and keep running. So then they'll be like, all right, well, I quit. All right, well, fine. This wasn't, you didn't have a passion for it and you weren't really about this life, you know, because this is really a full context, right? And so like uh, people like Mark Mark Cuban, like he's one of my, like, I love him as an influencer. And and if you follow him and just kind of study how he works, like, uh, uh, you know, some people are just passionate. Like I'm just passionate about business. Like I'm, I have a passion for just growing numbers. I like seeing the number grow. I love um, the art of the deal, right? Like, I, I just love the deal. I love the sport. Um, I love the competitive nature of it because I'm just competitive, right? Um, I love getting things done. And, and you know, I, I love providing um, for myself and, and my family and just getting to this, like, arbitrary number just to say that I did it, right? Because <laughs> um, who knows? When I, I get to the 10 million, I might die and then just donate the whole thing to, like, the NAACP or something. I, I don't know. But, like, you know, some people just love the art of, the deal, right? And so part of me appreciates just like the business aspect of it because I just have a passion for it. And some people don't, you know, if you just enter, you just say you into real estate because you know people that made money doing it, that's one thing. Um, but, you know, eventually you'll kind of get weeded out if you don't really know what you're doing or had a passion for it because you may, you're making decisions that are based off of something that won't bear a return. So, um, so yeah, so, uh, so to answer your question, it could be, it, it could be lack of learning from the lesson, uh, not being consistent, um, not understanding the numbers or minding your metrics, as they say, 
um, and not just working hard. Like some people just do not work hard. Like they just don't want to, they don't have the work ethic for it. Because um, you, you need a strong work ethic and you have to understand that you have to do this day over day over day over day, year after year after year. Like this isn't a, you just gonna do five flips and you got $10 million. Like you, it's <laughs> literally, it's like, <laughs> it's 50 here, 70 here, 30 here, 50 here, 50 here. And it just kind of happens over and over and over again. Um, that's how you get to a big bucket of water. Not, you know, you're not just gonna run run off on a plug and just make $10 million. If that if that's the case, we've all done that by now. Yeah, for real. Yeah, so it's a long game. Marcus Daly, man, you've been a great guest, bro. Appreciate you taking time out, man. I appreciate you, Josh, man. Anything or, you know, any resource I could be is always just let me know, man. For sure, man. Everybody, thanks for tuning in to uh, Go Fish Village, where we help people just like you create financial freedom through real estate. Check out episodes like this and more at www.gofishvillage.com. Also, if you're looking for a realtor, need help listing your property or need help finding an investment property, Holla at your boy, www.listwithmercer.com. Peace.